Amen. And I don't have to say you may be seated. You're already there. Oh, how good it is to have a Heavenly Father. Amen. How good it is to have memories of an earthly father that in some way or another resembled, patterned himself after our Heavenly Father. How good it is to know there are men today who are trying to do that. Who are trying to do that. Pattering, pattering themselves after our Heavenly Father. On this Father's Day, on this Father's Day, I want to focus our attention upon the tiny phrase. In fact, I told Linda at the early part of the week, I don't think I can find a message in the book of Revelation that we're going through for Father's Day. And I thought about, you know, well, wherever, where should we go? What should we do? I looked back to see what we did on Mother's Day. And, and by golly, on Mother's Day, there was a phrase in the book of Revelation that it was a revelation that just led right into Mother's Day. And I, I looked on at chapter 13 and chapter 14 and chapter 15 and thought I might have to go all the way to chapter 21 where we have the new heaven and new earth. But then I looked at what we read last week. And right at the end of that passage, the very last part of Revelation chapter 12, is what I'm calling today Hope Generating Revelation 15. And that's the revelation of true faith. The revelation of true faith. Here's what the scripture says, just that last verse. The dragon, now I've left down a few things where the dot, dot, dots are because I want you to get this thought that weaves through that verse. You know, the dragon gave up on the woman who had been saved, but here's what it talks about our focus today. The dragon went off to wage war against those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Heavenly Father, help us understand all that this is saying to us today that it might challenge our hearts and encourage our hearts, might even remind us of those who have done that for us in the past. So, Father, open us to your word and to what true faith might be boiled down to. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The dragon. He went off to wage war against those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And I was thinking, what a, what a succinct way. What a wonderful way to just describe what a true believer is. They keep God's commands. They not only know God's commands, they obey God's commands. They practice what they preach. And they hold fast their testimony about Jesus. They cannot be deterred from their belief in and their commitment to Jesus Christ. And as a result, they catch the attention of the devil. They are the ones that are a threat to his kingdom, and yet he is no threat to them because greater is he who is in them than he, the devil, who is in the world. However, as we understand the scripture, many of these in this passage we're reading about Many of these will join that martyr's band. Those who find solace under the very throne of God, they are tribulation saints, 
and some of them will become tribulation martyrs. Now, the interesting thing here is, though all these tribulation saints follow us in time, they're not here yet. We believe by the grace of God, as we understand the, the way that God will work in this world, he will send his son to capture his church out of this world before this tribulation time begins. And a whole new group come into being. So you and I, I believe, will never meet a tribulation saint until we get to heaven. Now, we may meet people around our world who've truly gone through times of trouble, tribulation, who may be lost family members because of their testimony for Jesus Christ, but they will not be those who live in the time the Bible calls the tribulation. And so we'll never meet any of them. They come later than us. But the interesting thing is, though they follow us in time, that is on the calendar, their testimony precedes them. And their testimony can influence us. Because through this revelation of John, we get to see what true faith under dire circumstances looks like. And this is the faith lived by the tribulation saints. So it's a powerful and motivational thing to see true faith in action. And we see it here, and we're going to see it for the next couple of weeks as these people stand firm for Jesus Christ in truly dire circumstances. But today, on this Father's Day, I would like to pay tribute to one who demonstrated such true faith to me. And that's my dad, S. Robert Michaels, but he always went by the name Bob. So my dad, Bob Michaels, we got a picture of him up there. There he is. He doesn't look anything like me, does he? But you can catch a lot by just looking. See the twinkle in the eye? There, there's a certain amount of enthusiasm and zeal for life. And you can learn a lot just looking at that picture that was taken a little bit later in his life. Now, the truth of it is, over the years, I've talked so much about my mom that some of you feel like you know her, even though you never met her. But I haven't talked much about my dad. And I was thinking this morning, it might be because my dad was taken home to heaven the very year Sun Life Community Church started, 1994. He was 81 years old. And I could keep talking about my mom because she was with us the whole time, right up until just a few months ago. But today, I'd like to talk about my dad. And I'd like to talk about him in light of today's passage. I'd like to talk about him as one in who, in, who, in my eyes, demonstrated true faith throughout his life. That is, he kept the commands of God and he held fast his testimony about Jesus. So I'd like to present him today as one whose earthly life can serve as an example that any dad can take to heart on this Father's Day. So as I look back these many years, here are some key commands of God kept by Bob Michaels. Now the Bible's full of key commands, but as you're familiar with his life and having lived under his tutelage, I've picked down a few commands that were definitely well known by us in our family. Here's one that was significant. Train up a child in the way he should go. The Bible says that. 
Now, the Bible gives a promise to that, but the promise is no good if the first part of it isn't done. So the command, God says, for all parents, but today we're applying it to dads, train up a child in the way he should go. A proper way. A way suitable for him, but a way that that he or she can understand the unique call of God upon his or her life. My dad took us where such training could be found. We were in Sunday school and church every Sunday. And even though there were not many born-again believers in our little country church, the Bible was revered. And it was taught faithfully in the Sunday school. Now, my mom and dad made sure it was taught in the Sunday school because they were the Sunday school superintendents. My mom was in charge of the children's department. My dad, for all the years I can remember, was in charge of what we called the upstairs department. Kids in the basement, upstairs, the young adults and adults, the kids and high schoolers and so forth. So they were in charge of what we were taught. All through Sunday school growing up, we memorized scripture. We learned all the Bible stories, and we were taught that those stories were true. We had a house full of Bible story books and other Christian books to read and and actually be thrilled by. Missionary stories. Wonderful books of people serving the Lord and and just catching some of the excitement of their life. During the summertime, my dad would drive us all to a fabulous Bible conference that was only 20 miles away from our house. And he would drive us down there usually two, sometimes three times a week to hear some of the greatest Christian preachers and Christian musicians that the the country had at the time. All of them would travel from Bible conference to Bible conference, and the Pine Brook Bible Conference in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania was one of the chief spots where they would stop. And we would go, and we would listen to the Word of God being preached by the the greatest uh, radio preachers and other preachers of the day. And we would listen to music that was just sung and played by the best musicians you could imagine. It was thrilling. It was in an auditorium. They called it a tabernacle. Well over a thousand people there night after night after night. It was a thrill to a little kid. It was in one of those summer meetings that I, at the age of nine, just turned nine, responded to the gospel invitation and gave my life to Jesus Christ. In fact, that very night, it was my dad who walked down the aisle with me. He saw me raise my hand when heads were bowed and eyes were closed. His weren't, I guess. I raised my hand, and then when the invitation came, and you know, you come forward, all of you who raised your hand, and he knew I was a scared little kid, he leaned over and he said, If you want me to walk forward with you, I will. And I did. And he did. In fact, when we got down to the front, and all those who had made decisions for Christ were gathered together, and the evangelist was addressing us all, and he was going to ask us all, why did we come forward? And and when it came right down to where the evangelist was looking at the little, the youngest boy sitting there in this summer camp of teenagers, my dad spoke up and gave my answer. 
And he said, this young man came forward to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. I did. I did. And that changed everything. Why had I come forward? That's why. Now, during junior high and high school days, my dad gave up his Saturday nights to drive us kids 20 miles again down to Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania to our Youth for Christ rallies where I first received opportunities to, be, to share, to be involved in some kind of Christian ministry. Teen to teen was that theme of Youth for Christ. Dad made sure we were trained up in the way we should go. All five of his children, now old, are firmly in the Lord's camp and are following the Lord's way. Second key command Bob Michaels kept is this. Keep the scripture ever before your family. And this is the verse that came to me, though there's the one, you know, talk about the scriptures in the morning and the evening. But, but this one, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why you keep it in front of your family. It's a tool for the spirit of God. It's sharp. It pierces. It, it penetrates, it reveals truth, it reveals sin, it does all these things. He read the Word, and he got us into the Word. You could not grow up in our household and not know that the Bible was God's Word, and the most important book in the world. Dad's Bible was tattered. Oh, it was about this thick, and uh, I mean, the cover was, you've all seen Bibles like that. They're just worn right down to the nub. And some of the pages you had to remember to put them back in after you read it. And there it was. It would sit on the, our breakfast table where, and table where we'd gather. So his Bible was scattered. And, and even though us kids frequently would groan inside, when he would pick it up after a meal, and we would have family devotions, we knew we knew the value that he and my mom placed upon it. Now, part of that Youth for Christ program I mentioned was a Bible quizzing competition. And uh, that kind of thing could feed any young person's competitive drive while forcing that young person into an intense study of some book of the Bible. My dad enjoyed watching us in those competitions as much as in any of our athletic ones. Third key command Bob Michaels kept. Actually, it's a dual one. We say practice tithing and demonstrate stewardship. First part, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says Malachi 3.10. Now, let me tell you, it takes real obedience for a poor man to tithe. Let me say that again. It takes real obedience for a poor man to tithe. Poor my dad was and tithe my dad did. My dad worked for minimum wage his entire life in an economically distressed area. He was paid in cash every Friday and 10% went into the tithe box that he kept in his, his bedroom dresser drawer. Every Sunday morning, he would line all five of us up. He'd open the tithe box, and sometimes you'd, you'd almost 
Never saw money like that in one place. He'd line us all up, open the tithe box, and hand down our Sunday school offerings. One of us each week would get the special honor of putting the big gift, an entire dollar, into the missionary bank for Aunt Flo, who is my dad's younger sister, who spent her entire adult life as a missionary in Africa. We knew. We knew that 10% of all we would ever earn belonged to the Lord. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then this scripture, provide for your household, 2 Timothy 5.8. He who does not provide for his own household is worse than an infidel. My dad was a hardworking man. And he was a skillful man. He was a Finnish carpenter. He and his dad built the house that I entered into as a newborn. He and his dad built the church we worshipped in after the old original structure became uh, useful no more. He could have made far more money during the building boom of the 1950s and 60s had he joined the union and followed the jobs wherever they might take him. But my dad believed that providing for your family also entailed being available to your family. And so he turned away from that option. He stuck with the job in the Pocono Mountains that, that paid nothing but kept him home. He worked a 44-hour week, Monday through Friday and a half day on Saturday. He and my mom managed their few funds well. We kids never knew we were poor. How's that happen? It wasn't until I went to Wheaton College that I found out we were poor. I mean, dirt poor. Somehow we always had enough. But we grew up knowing that tithing was a priority and hard work was a necessity. Here's the fourth key command Bob Michaels kept. Live expectantly and exuberantly. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. My dad worked hard, and he took advantage of whatever perks it brought. Now, the big, big perk in his life was the opportunity, his carpentry job at a major Pocono Mountain resort the opportunity it gave him to play golf for free. To play golf for free on one of the finest golf courses in the country. He taught all of us to play the hallowed game. And he taught us how to behave on the sacred grounds. Many Sunday afternoons were spent hunting the golf balls that the wealthy patrons would just hit into the woods and never even seek. I'll tell you this. There was almost as much joy in the Michaels household over finding a brand new golf ball that had only been struck once or twice. As the Bible says, there is in heaven over finding a lost soul. Many Sunday afternoons, we went to hunt balls with my dad. And he knew where they all wound up. Our basement was filled with 
egg cartons filled with golf balls, according to all kinds of descriptions. He loved to play golf, and he got to play free. My dad loved it. He loved pushing himself ever closer toward mastery of that game. Par or birdie was his objective on every single hole. And it was an objective that he regularly achieved. His enthusiasm in the things that he did, uh, you could not miss. He encouraged us to find God's will for our lives and to give ourselves to the fulfilling of it. Two of his sons became pastors. One of his daughters has spent her life teaching in Christian school. All five are solid and vocal in their faith. Indeed, he pursued things vigorously and passionately, and he taught us to do the same. So the first component of faith was keep the commandments of God. Learn what they are and keep them, follow them. Now, the second component of true faith is hold fast to your testimony about Jesus. I'd like to share several commitments concerning Jesus Christ to which my father held fast. These were absolutely non-negotiable. So here they are. We can just go through them quickly. Bob Michael's key commitments concerning Jesus Christ. One, he is the eternal Son of God. No question about it. Jesus was not just a man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Secondly, he is the only hope for mankind. My dad never looked for some magical solution to the problems of life. New life through faith in Jesus Christ was the only solution. Thirdly, his, that is Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection were all miraculous. We definitely believed all of that, even when the pastor of our little Moravian church didn't. I've told you before, we would frequently go home from church, have Sunday dinner, and question around the table whether we thought the pastor was saved or not. Our church went downhill theologically during the years that, that I attended there. It went down there far enough to where there came a day my mom and dad were asked uh, gently by their friends if they could maybe just leave. Because we as a church don't believe that stuff anymore. And they left and in their 60s were baptized in the little Bible church that they found, and lo and behold, my dad became a to that church. Next thing, Jesus will come again for his own. We believe that. We were taught that. My dad and mom believed that. We grew up with a belief in the rapture, the coming of Christ for his church. We needed to be watching and we needed to be ready. I can't tell you how many times as a little kid, if we hadn't been home and mom and dad weren't there for some reason, it was like, did the rapture happen? <laughs> how many kids today would think that? We thought that. Do you suppose the rapture, Jesus came and they're gone and we're left? See, I knew we should have been better. 
See, because the last truth we have here is his teachings. That is, Jesus' teachings are to be obeyed. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Knowledge that didn't lead to obedience really was considered to be worse than no knowledge at all. My dad was solid as a rock when it came to his testimony concerning the person and purposes of Jesus Christ. Every dad. Every dad needs to be so. And so, all of us dads here today, here's today's final thought. It would seek to be an encouragement to us all. It says this, final thought, a dad of true faith. So just, you'd know, but just be sure, you're in that category. Do you hold and do you believe that the directives of God's word are to be obeyed? Are you seeking to obey them as you can? Do you hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ that he is the Son of God, not just some man with some good ideas? Do you believe he's the eternal Son of God? Do you believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead and lives today? And because of what he did, you can be forgiven of your sins. Do you believe he will come again? Do you believe that his teachings are to be acknowledged and obeyed? You see, a dad of true faith. That doesn't mean a perfect dad, but that means a dad who truly does believe. The Bible is true and Jesus Christ is his Savior. A dad of true faith is a living revelation. You walk into the presence of a dad like that, and and there's something that's revealed to you. There's something that you pick up. From this man, you understand, here's someone who, who has his eyes set beyond just the things of this world. And what he believes, he believes fervently. And his children know that he does. He's a revelation to them. There's truth that is coming. We say God's truth is seen in him. We saw that in my dad. And when you see truth in a person, it seems to be more true. It seems to be more true. So dads, I just encourage you today. There are eyes upon you. And there are eyes who look up to you. The most powerful testimony, the most powerful impact you can have is just faithfully, consistently do your thing as a Christian man. Be in church. Let them know you believe the Bible. Let them see you read the Bible. Let them see you doing things that you only do because the Bible says you should. You don't have to be a a great preacher or sharer of your faith. You are your preaching. And your children and your grandchildren can eat it up. Let them eat well. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for every good memory that's been stirred today. We thank you for every good resolve that has perhaps been strengthened today. For you have given us the opportunity to to be fathers in this world. 
And I again pray for all those in this room and all those watching today that there would be a sense of, uh, of delight in the calling. That we might simply do the, the basic things and know that you will bring forth fruit in our children and in our grandchildren's lives. I thank you for my dad. Thank you for the witness, just the, the bare bones, solid, this is what we believe and this is how we live kind of thing. And we pray that, that much good might come as a result of us thinking about our privilege today. For we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen.